I'm Travis Bader, and this is the Silvercore Podcast. Join me as I discuss matters related to hunting, fishing, and outdoor pursuits with the people and businesses that comprise the community. If you're new to Silvercore, be sure to check out our website, www.silvercore.ca, where you can learn more about courses, services, and products that we offer, as well as how you can join the Silvercore Club, which includes 10 million in North America-wide liability insurance ensure you are properly covered during your outdoor adventures. Silvercore has been providing bear safety training to industry professionals, both in person as well as online for many years, but this marks the first time that I've had the opportunity to sit down and speak with someone who survived a horrific grizzly bear attack by using his pocket knife. For those of you who are following hashtag Silvercore podcast on social media, you'll know that I've been steadily building a custom podcast studio. If the audio sounds a bit different in this episode, it's because it was recorded on location as I travel to meet Colin Dowler, who was gracious enough to have me in his home and share with you his harrowing experience of grit and tenacity. Colin wants to share his story to add to the knowledge base of bear behavior and encounters so that you are better aware of potential dangers and to motivate you to become properly prepared and educated prior to entering into bear country. I should warn that there are sections of this podcast that will be intense and graphic, and listener discretion is advised. Finally, if you are enjoying the Silvercore podcast, it would sure help us out if you like, subscribe, write a review or comment, and share with your friends. Colin, thank you very much for having me into your home and sitting down with me to do this podcast. Yeah, for sure. We're here on the island in Campbell River right now, and you've lived on the island for quite some time, haven't you? All your life. Yeah, 45 years. And you grew up in Campbell River? I grew up on Quadra Island. I went to high school in Campbell River. So we took a ferry to school uh, each morning and home each afternoon as uh, Quadra Island kids. And then I moved to Campbell River in 2003. What brought you over to Campbell River? Uh, The convenience of it, just for work-wise. Right in the economy, it was a better place to purchase a house here than on Quadra. Right. And, you know, over 90% of my employment was in Canberra River. And what do you do for work here? Well, I'm an electrician by trade. And right now, I'm the manager of maintenance and operations for Island Health uh, for the North Island. Growing up in this area, you've got a lot of bears in Canberra River. You're no stranger to being around bears. Uh, you see black bears typically over here. Is that a fair statement? Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. We have uh, I mean, uh, black bears in, in the neighborhood through from spring through till fall. And what about being outdoors? Is that something that you grew up being in the outdoors? For sure. Yeah? Tell me about that. Well, I mean, again, Quadra Island kid. I mean, I had a friend move out from Ontario, and they said that, you know, just driving the roads of Quadra is like driving through a forest. We didn't have cable television. I uh, had uh, a couple of fuzzy channels if uh, your antenna was working Yeah. Uh, growing up. It wasn't until graduating year, grade 12, 1992, that uh, we got uh, cable television. So for entertainment, you typically find yourself outdoors. Okay. Um, yeah, so I mean, I was really into the, you know, mushroom picking and fishing more than anything. And you did a lot of fishing? Uh, yeah, lots of trout fishing. Yeah, and I guess, I mean, the trout fishing evolved in, I mean, it's hard as a kid to fish salmon without, without an adult with you, right? Right. To, to get on your uh, bicycle and 
you know, pack your fly rod or spinning rod, you know, to a local stream was a little easier. But I became a fishing guide when I graduated grade 11. Wow. And so I was a 16-year-old fishing guide for a local resort. Wow, is that common to be that young and be a fishing guide? No, but not unheard of. Okay. Right, yeah. I mean, I think if you have the passion for it, like myself and some of my peers had, to get in there at that age wasn't, uh, wasn't inconceivable. That's really cool. So what did you do as a fishing guide? Uh, well, I worked at April Point Lodge on Quadra and a little bit at Painter's Lodge. And basically, you just, you know, took people for day trips out and started in a 15-foot whaler and then moved up. I was in a 17-foot whaler by the end of it all and occasionally would get onto other people's larger boats, you know, if a uh, wealthy yeah. customer had their own 27-foot whaler, <laughs> right? And, yeah. Right, I would get into their boat and guide them out of that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it'd be day trips, anything from, you know, four hours to... 16 hours chasing around local Coho and Chinook mostly. When I read about your experience, it's human nature. You take a look at this and you say, well, that would never happen to me. But it happened to you. Let's talk a little bit about what brought you to be out in the woods on that fateful day. That happened when? That was uh, in July, was it? July 29th, 2019. July 29th. And if I read correctly, uh, that was right around your birthday, wasn't it? I woke up the next morning out of surgery on my birthday. Wow. What drove you to be outside in the woods on that day? On that day? uh, Well, I guess for what it's worth, my wife and I were hiking locally and had planned to do a lot of hiking locally this summer. My older brother and I had planned to attempt to hike Mount Doogie Dollar in the near future, probably next summer or next September. So my wife and I had contemplated doing a local hike together uh, and ultimately decided that uh, I guess she wanted to not take on such a uh, challenging hike is the one that we were thinking on doing that weekend. Okay, yeah. Uh, and I don't know anyone else that wants to go bushwhacking on the mainland to <laughs> go route finding up Mount Doogie Dowler, other than my brother, but our schedules don't line up. His days off are on uh, uh, midweek. Yeah. So it was a convenient opportunity for me to go out on my own to the mainland to do some reconnaissance for this hike because my wife and I weren't going to go on our trip together. So you've never been up to Mount Doogie Deller before? Uh, no, I have actually. I guess it must have been a while back if you're looking for a new route. So I guess, uh, I want to say it was about 20 years ago okay. that I had done two different hikes up Doogie and same idea. One was to you know get there in the boat and sort out, hey, can, can this be done? And then a second attempt in earnest uh, where we got turned around by weather while we were trying to summit. So then here I am 20 years later, about five weeks earlier, I did a spur of the moment quick, just bomb in there to see uh, if it was being actively logged, um, if you could even land a boat there, et cetera, et cetera, what shape the roads were in. So I'd actually done a a decent bit of reconnaissance five weeks earlier. So Mount Doogie Dollar, that's when it kind of looks like a cowboy hat when you're, you're on Quadra Island. That's a, the, one of the higher peaks there, isn't it? If not the highest peak that you can kind of see. Yeah, it's, it's amongst the more prominent peaks when you're looking from Vancouver Island that way. Like, it isn't the highest. It's, it's 
fairly close as well, right? Have you had a successful summit on that mountain before? I have not. Okay. We've got a close friend that has, though. I have to ask, is a summit in the future? <laughs> I, I, for what it's worth, I'm okay if I never hike the mountain. I, I always have been. <laughs> and it was just recently when uh, my brother and I got talking about it. And we were both getting back into shape, right? Each being in our mid-40s. Yeah. And each having moved into desk jobs. Yeah. Right. We were getting back into shape and thought, you know what, this would be an, an excellent goal and a, a worthy thing to attempt to do. Well, and I can't help but notice, and I know a little bit about the background on this, but it's called Mount Doogie Dowler. You're Colin Dowler. Can yeah. you tell me a little bit about how that mountain got its name? My grandpa Doogie, or I guess Grandpa Doogie Dowler, but we knew him as Grandpa Doogie. Yeah. He uh, lived on Quadra for a long time, he was the local grocery store owner and postmaster and when he died in 82 or 83 uh, one of the local families pursued getting the peak named after him yeah because they, they knew it or they suspected it didn't have a name that's pretty cool yeah that's pretty i thought so so it's got some family history there yeah for sure yeah and and actually uh from harriet bay uh where his store was and also his home uh there's a view of mount doogie dollar from there so you just sit at home and stare at the mountain, which is now named after him. That's right. That's really cool. So you, I guess, a more spur of the moment to go up around your birthday? or Yeah, that's right. The first trip was spur of the moment, and this one also was. I, I, had, I intended on doing a reconnaissance hike right. before September, and I was just at the beginning of some days off, so there was probably... The, the trip was going to happen. It yeah. just so happened uh, that... It, was a fairly quick decision that I was going that day. So what did you what did you bring with you? I uh, had, uh, of course, my backpack, hiking poles, mountain bike, the the bivy sack, which would be my first time using one of those. It was an experiment to see okay. uh, how comfortable or uh, miserable it was sure. being in a little bivy. Yeah. Packed pretty light. Had a, you know, small amount of clothing. You know, more than enough food, but it really wasn't much food. Okay. And that's about it. What about uh, bear spray, uh, so air horn, firearm? Yeah, so I didn't have an air horn uh, or a firearm, and I left without bear spray. And I did, you know, I thought bear spray would be a good idea because the time that I was up there prior, uh, there was a lot of bear sign. So it kind of crossed your mind, but just fleetingly? He, he, no, probably more than that. Uh, my dad had called the night before I left, and he was out in his boat with his partner, and they were heading sort of out, out, out of cell range, a little further than he generally ventures. Okay. So he was calling to let me know that, you know, he was going off the grid. Okay. So it was a convenient time for me to tell him that, hey, so, so am I. Uh, typically, I would leave an itinerary with him, but my wife knew well enough, you know, wh where I was going, what was going on, so she, she had the itinerary. And he had mentioned that, you know, he had bear spray in and amongst his wares, whether it was, you know, uh, past his due date or not, he wasn't sure, but right. I should consider grabbing it. So we chatted a bunch about bear safety and, you know, how afraid of bears he is. And, okay. You know, I debated whether I should be more afraid of him than I am or not, because... I've honestly never been afraid of bears and cougars and 
I've got the belief of almost like being hit by lightning. You, you can't fear that or you'll never get out there. That's a good point. And where you live, I mean, we've got cougars here. We've got a lot of black bear out here. It's more of a common occurrence to see or hear about them being in your area. And that familiarity breeds a certain amount of comfort. It's, For sure. Yeah. And, and they, they always run, don't they? <laughs> yeah, they typically do. <laughs> they typically do. So you packed up, you got in your boat, you took your boat and your bike over to, uh, where did you go? To the mouth of the Quadam River in Ramsey Arm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I got there and tied up to the dock and started biking out there and realized that the camp was active. Okay. Uh, five weeks earlier, the camp wasn't active. Okay. So I poked around the camp and, you know, yelled, hello, 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 until I got the ear of uh, the camp cook. Okay. Who would also be their level three first aid attendant. All right. And so we got chat and I asked about uh, if it was all right for me to use the dock. Uh, and he mentioned they actually had uh, a couple of crew boats uh, that had been coming and going each day. Uh, I'm not sure if both, if there was two boats coming and going or just one, but either way, the, comb the potential combination of boats at the dock was such there wasn't room for me to park on it. Sure. So I parked on the uh, log boom nearby and swam into the dock. Okay. How'd you get your bike off? Oh, I guess you just took your bike just off the dock. I left everything, yeah. Okay. Clothes, bike, everything on the dock. Yeah. So got your, your bike off, all your kit, and got on your bicycle, started riding down the road, or? Uh, no, so not fully. So uh, again, in chatting with the camp cook, uh, he asked me if there's anything I needed. And I said, well, you know, bear spray would be nice. Uh, oh, you so even brought that up with him? Yes. <laughs> and so he gave me some pepper spray. Oh, cool. So that was nice, yeah. yeah. So I'm embarrassed now, in hindsight, obviously, that I uh, wasn't more prepared uh, on my way in. But sure. again, I've generally always been fairly happy-go-lucky in the woods. And yeah. You know, never, never thought I'd be the guy. So yeah, so I got the bear spray from him. And then he offered, as uh, has always been my experience, in logging camps, offered me a ride to where my jumping off point was going to be. I've done the same in the past. And even, you know, if they, if they are going that way or if they're able to do it, that's typically been my experience as well, too. Yeah, and I haven't landed at a lot of active camps, but my experience has always been that they're very generous and ha happy to have you there mm -hmm. and to share with you what they're conveniently able. Right. Yeah, so he gave me a lift to about the nine kilometer mark. Oh, save some time, that's nice. Yeah, for sure. And then you got off the nine kilometer mark and that's, did you park the bike there and just, yep. just had it for uh, transport back? That's right. And you decided to start hiking from there? Or did uh, you just yeah. set, up, set up camp there? No, 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 yeah, no, that would hike from there. My, my uh, uh, like the hopeful mission was to find a route that would get me into the subalpine or even the alpine. Have you done a lot of work in the alpine, a lot of hiking in the alpine? No. Okay. No, I've done some. Um, certainly not a lot. So now you're, you've started hiking uphill, looking for different routes to get into the area. And at some point, you spent the night, I guess. Yeah. So you set up camp and were you seeing much bear sign around? Uh, uh, not the higher I got, no. Okay. Uh, but in the beginning, so, Vito had driven me as uh, far as he, the road would conveniently allow. And that's the camp cook. That's right. Yeah. 
And then I got on to uh, an old grade that I suspect would have been from when they logged there in the 60s. So as I pushed through the, you know, the overgrown road, yeah. um, what I noticed was when I was there five weeks prior, uh, there was some bear sign in there, not a ton. Sure. Uh, most of the bear sign was on the, uh, the more built logging road uh, on, on the way up, and I rode that on my mountain bike on the way up, so it's a, yeah. it's a slow go. And then at the point that I had to uh, ditch my mountain bike, there was still, you know, bear scat. I didn't really notice if any of it was uh, fresh. None of it struck me as super fresh. Sure. This time, a lot of the elderberries mostly seem to have been pulled down into the trail. That's a good observation. Yeah, and I suspect that's from bears pulling the trees down to, to get at the berries. Right? right. You know, different people have different levels of awareness. And a lot of people think about going out into the bush as a place for them to turn their brain off and just be one with nature and just experience the wilderness. And I don't know, personally, from my perspective, that's the last place I want to turn my brain off. Whenever I turn my brain off, I end up injuring myself. There's a guy by the name of Colonel Jeff Cooper, and he created a color code system of awareness, and he takes it through from color code white, and he says a person traveling around, walking around in condition white's got the awareness level of a victim, essentially. They're completely unaware, and things will just happen to them. And then he progresses up to yellow, and yellow is your... You're alert, you're paying attention to your surroundings, but you're not paranoid. Uh, orange would be, okay, I heard, I heard a snap in the bushes. I'm, I'm now hyper alert, there's something going on, right? Red, the fight's on, and then black would be, uh, you've completely submitted to whatever is happening around you. You're overwhelmed and you don't know how to act. Out of that scale, where, where would you place yourself? Like, are, are you, pretty freaked out that there might be a bear and you're pretty paranoid looking around every corner in, in condition orange or would you be just casually alert to your surroundings in, in yellow? Clearly not white. I, I, I would say uh, casually alert. I mean, I was being loud, like deliberately loud. Yeah. And same as the first time I was up there. I wasn't as worried this time. I'm not, not sure why. Although it was a little, I was a bit, I thought the pulled down bushes uh, we're concerning it, okay, <laughs> right? There's, it wasn't like that the time prior. Right. So it struck me as uh, potentially more active than it was five weeks earlier. So were you singing or to have a bell or anything? Yeah, well, I had a bell, <laughs> yeah. but I also had that on while I was riding my bike down the road. Sure. Uh, but yes, my wife asked me to wear a bell, so I was wearing the bell. Yeah, and I would sing or just make silly rhymes or, you know, just the do the odd you know, blurt of some sort, right? I just yeah. come by. I mean, I'm not going to do it now because I'm, <laughs> I'm embarrassed about what it might sound like. But the idea is just to be loud enough, yeah, uh, often enough that uh, a bear would hear you and move away, right? Any casual observer would think you're crazy, but yeah, yeah ma sure. making that noise typically that alerts a bear. You're in the area. I mean, they they can smell really good. They can see and hear better than we can. Uh, they can smell what, like up to 20 miles away if the wind's carrying it. Oh, wow, yeah. So I guess you hiked for a while, got tired, or it got dark, and you decided it's time to set up in the bivy bag and... Yeah. Yeah? So uh, I, I guess... Uh, so I, did, I didn't get particularly tired. Okay. Right? I mean, you're hiking uphill, so... Yeah. Right? Uh, but yeah, ultimately what I got to was a dead end. Okay. Yeah. And when I hit the dead end, 
I'm going to guess it was about 5.30. Okay. And I thought to myself, I've got time now to turn around and head back down and camp closer to the base of the hill okay. um, rather than stay up here. I thought, you know, I'm not going to have time to actually get back into my boat and get home. And then I thought, I don't really want to camp at the base where there was all of that bear sign. Right. And then I also didn't want to, um, on my descent, take a bad route that I had to backtrack on right. and get caught at dusk on a side hill because where I was was a pretty good camping spot. Sure. So I chose just to poke around and kill time until dark. Okay. Did you, what were you eating? Were you cooking something up? Uh, no, no, it was strictly uh, dry food. Okay. So yeah, I had some uh, homemade venison pepperoni. Very nice. Some jerky, power bar. Uh, I can't remember what I had for nuts, but and I had some, some, some kind of uh, trail mix with me. Do you hunt? Yeah. Okay. So it was your, your venison. Yeah. Pure venison, pepperoni. I didn't, don't cut it with anything. Just Eats more like a jerky, to be honest. And the thought of bringing a firearm up was just extra weight? Yeah, and just didn't even think of it. I, okay. Again, I went into it with, you know, not a lot of bear paranoia. Yeah, no, I get that. So... Yeah, actually, so to uh, add to that, I did an alpine hike uh, with my dad and one of his friends. Uh, I can't remember when, but it might have been you know, 20 years ago. Right. Uh, and they packed a rifle, or Jan, his friend, I believe, packed the rifle the whole way. And I remember just laughing about how silly I thought that was, that they were that afraid <laughs> of bears, that they would carry this silly rifle from sea level up into, you know, 6,500 feet or whichever. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things, you don't encounter a predatory animal, and you're like, why did I bring this thing? It was so heavy. <laughs> I could have packed more whatever, or just had a lighter pack. Well, well apparently I should have uh, had more appreciation for their <laughs> wisdom rather than laugh at it thinking it was folly. Uh-huh. So you wake up in the morning the next day, you had a good sleep, how did the bivy bag work? Oh, it's a miserable sleep. Yeah. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I've never been a big fan of the bivy sacks. No. Yeah, and I don't know that this is uh, the highest quality bivy there okay. ever was, right? Yeah. But either way, not knowing any better, it was wet. Yeah. And I generally have to get up to pee in the night. Yeah, sure. Uh, so getting in and out of that thing and uh, like just kind of sliding in and out of it from all the, the moisture from my ah. breathing and sweat. You didn't bring your pee bottle. Yeah, no, I don't know if there would be room for to even use that in one of those things. Yeah, like yeah. It, yeah it, it, it was uh, it tight was quarters for sure. Pretty tight one. Yeah. So you woke up at dawn uh, sun, when the sun broke from an uncomfortable rest? Yeah, well, knowing how much dew would be in there, I, I got a first light out as long as I could. Yeah, okay. Uh, before I got out to start my morning. Yeah. Then what happened? Uh, well, just, geez, I broke camp and... Uh, you know, packed everything up, grabbed all my stuff, filled, filled my water bottle full, and started poking my way uh, back down the hill. How long were you hiking for? On the way down? Yeah. Oh, maybe four hours. Okay. 
and finally got to your bicycle. Were you seeing any more increased activity? Were you smelling uh, not, anything? Do you think maybe you're being stalked for a you, while? You know what? I no, I don't think it was stalking me. Okay. Um, my nose of, of my senses. Yeah. My nose is my weak link. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, smelling stuff is not. Yeah. And I didn't notice any difference on the way out, and I did on the way in. Although, it it could be that on my way out, um, excitement of getting out of there sort of early, yeah, right, and having a day ahead of me, yeah, uh, may have gotten the better of me as far as my caution level goes. Sure, sure. Right, probably a little less you know, chirping, making the sounds and stuff, and okay. a little, you know, kind of rushing my way out of there a bit more. Okay. So now you're on your bike, and you're riding out. Mm-hmm. About 20 minutes into your ride, and hey, you're saying it was about 20 minutes, was it? Yeah, if that. Okay. Yeah. And you see the bear in front of you? Yeah. Okay. About how far away? I think about 100 feet. Wow, that's close. Yeah. That's really close. Yeah, for sure. So that, that is uh, a give or take about as close to a grizzly as I'd ever been before. No kidding. So what's going through your head when you see this? You figure it'll just spook off right away? Or uh, that was what I was hoping. Yeah. So and I don't can't totally piece it together, but I wasn't making any sounds on my bike. I was just riding my bike. Right. I think I was coming around a bit of a bend and it had my eyes up in the trees up to my right okay because i i knew that i was at the seven kilometer mark where i got mauled right and i think what happened was i had literally just been looking up at at the seven kilometer marker sign okay and then looked back down as i kind of came around a bit of a bend and there there was the bear standing on the other side of the road, like on my left-hand side, um, looking at me. So you're well acquainted to seeing black bears, just given how many black bears we have around here and where you live. Have you seen many grizzlies out in the wild? No, I've seen a handful at best. And the size of this grizzly? You know, I, I thought he looked like a small mangy grizzly bear. Okay. So you stopped your bicycle? I stopped my bike and I said, hey, bear. Yeah. Right? Probably louder than that, but we're in my house right now. Sure, so. <laughs> sure. Yeah, and that was something I, I timber cruised for almost a year uh, with a close friend who was an excellent forester. And that was our thing we did whenever we saw a bear or saw a sign of a bear, right? We didn't use bear bangers or any of that. Mm-hmm. We would just yell, hey, bear. You know, there's a some bear aware videos put out by, and you've got a book here as well by uh, Stephen Herrero, and he's one of the renowned authors and bear experts, both him and Gary Shelton. And there's some videos that were put out that Stephen had worked on as well. And the people in the video shout out, "Whoa, bear! Whoa, bear! Oh, hey, yeah. bear!" And I swear that these videos have trained generations of people to say. Whoa, bear! Hey, bear! Because you can make any noise. You can make. You can say anything. But everyone chooses to say, "Hey, bear! Whoa, bear!" I, I find that kind of amusing. Yeah, I would not be the least bit surprised if <laughs> my friend picked it up from that. Uh, probably not from seeing the video, but just because it's out there in industry. But that's sound, right? That's that's a sound decision to make. 
letting the bear know that you're there. You don't want it to be surprising it. Yeah, uh, although I, th I, I think we were already both surprised. Okay. Like when he came around the corner, you saw it. Was it just standing or did it kind of give a little stutter step kind of a back? It was, it was just standing the best I could tell. Okay. And you're not making any efforts to move closer to it, I should imagine. No, I stopped immediately and was standing straddling my bike. Right. You know, I, I said the hay bear. Uh, I know immediately after the incident, um, when, you know, I, I told people that I talked to the bear calmly as it approached me. Okay. On hindsight, I don't believe I did. I think I sort of recreated that I did all, all the right stuff as it walked up to me the whole way. So I, I, I know I yelled to Hey Bear. I, I don't know at what point I stopped verbalizing to the bear. Mm -hmm. um, he was standing there and looking at me and then he would look at the bush and then look at me and look at the bush. And I remember thinking, just step into the bush. Mm -hmm. Right? I thought he was going to step into the woods. Uh, and I don't recall fully here, Travis, if he started to approach and that's when I took my pack off and thought to take one of my hiking poles off my pack and extend my pole. Mm -hmm. Should he get close enough, I wanted to fend him away. Mm -hmm. um, or if I started doing that immediately, I think I went for my pole after he started to walk towards me. And I suspect that once I started rummaging through my pack, I was now thinking about, oh, holy crap, <laughs> I need to get my pole off my pack so that I can fend this bear off should it get too close. What were you thinking, holy crap, I should get the bear spray out that the camp cook was kind enough to lend me? No, unfortunately, uh, I was already aware uh, that I lost my bear spray before I camped the night. No. Yeah, and I have really deep pockets. I mean, the, the foolhardy thing is that I should have had the bear spray on a carabiner on one of the straps of my backpack where it is imminently accessible. I had it, I mean, geez, you've got your expensive cell phone in one pocket, <laughs> right? Which yeah. had some navigational apps and uh, of course a camera. Of course. And then I had my bear spray deep in the other pocket and yeah. they're, they're good deep pockets. I never suspected it would fall out. I think on one of my last sort of meal and navigation stops that I took on the way up the hill, I sat on a log where my knees were higher than my butt. Mm -hmm. And I think the pepper spray fell out at that point. Okay. Yeah, and by the time I realized it had fallen out, it was quite a ways behind me. Right. And I just thought of the man, that's a, a ways back to go. Needle in a haystack, will I ever find it? Hindsight, I probably should have at least tried. Well, you talk about having it on a carabiner on the back of your pack. And well, and the front strap would be the smart place to have it. it. It would be. I know a lot of people have stopped, have moved away from that if a bear attack is sudden and they're curled up with their hands over the back of their neck and keeping their backpack on as a bit of protection if it's on the back of your pack. Not the most accessible for them. I know people have been moving towards chest rigs and they'll have a bit of a Velcro, something they'll even release faster 
than a carabiner. They just grab it, rip it, and it goes. Having whatever your defense mechanism quick at hand, I guess in hindsight is always great to think about, but it's something that uh, I'm mentioning now just because the listeners might have a bare experience and know all about this, or maybe they don't. Again, on hindsight, and I can't believe I, uh, I didn't pick up this tip from the fellow I was uh, telling you about earlier, the man I know that knows those bears and mountains yes. better than anyone else that I know. Yes. Uh, the guy that's given me the bear attack book while I was in the hospital. Yes. Uh, the last article he dons before he hikes into bear country is a strap that he puts around his neck that's got the bear spray on one side and an air horn on the other. Smart man. Yeah, very smart. And uh, yeah, I'm embarrassed that I, I never gleaned that from him from all of our conversations. <laughs> and uh, yeah, when, when I'm uh, next bold enough to get out there, I, I suspect I will have, if not exactly that, mm-hmm. uh, something awfully similar because that air seems uh, like the best defense. So the bear starts approaching you. You're rummaging through the pack. You're looking for your poles that you can use as a defensive. Yeah, they were strapped to the outside of my pack, so they were okay. Qu- quite easy to get my hands on. Okay, and the bear's approaching. Mm-hmm. Started off at about 100 yards. 100 feet. Uh, sorry, 100 feet, and that's well within. So Gary Shelton, he's a author of uh, some bear books. Stephen Herrero, he's I see his book here right in front of you. Both renowned bear experts. And years ago, I was approached through my company, Silvercore, to put together a bear training program that incorporated bear spray and firearms and avoidance strategies and uh, encounter strategies. And I reached out to both Stephen and Gary, and Stephen was helpful, and he provided some insight and information. Gary uh, turned out to be my wife's aunt's next-door neighbor, and he says, Travis, I'm, I'm getting out of the training game. Tell you what, if you'd like, I'll give you my lesson plans. I'll give you some training aids. I'll help you. Let's, let's ensure that we're carrying on the tradition of what he spent 35 years in bear country researching these things prior to even getting on with his books here. Uh, let's ensure that this information is being passed on. So I was very, very thankful to the both of them, particularly uh, Gary, who just recently passed away. And I guess where I'm going with this was that you were talking about the distance at 100. So at 100 feet away, Gary had put together a general guideline. And just so the listeners have an idea of really how close this is, because there's going to be people who say, well, it was 100 feet away. How is that? How is that a threat to you? Like, couldn't you just like run away? Couldn't he get, right? People that just don't understand this. With a bear, Gary had put together his 75 meter guideline and his 25 meter guideline. 75 meters was, okay, we're within 75 meters of the bear and we better start thinking about, we better start readying our defensive mechanisms, whether that's bear spray or firearm, or we better get these things prepared. So 75 meters. 25 meters, and you said 100 feet, so 25 meters is what, around 80, 82 feet or something like that? Yeah, yeah, somewhere in the mid-80s. Yeah. Mid-80s. That's when Gary says it's time to shoot the bear. So, oh, yeah, well. so not only was this bear within 
that shoot zone, but you, you're, you're well beyond the let's get ready. You're readying yourself in the, in the zone where uh, typically Gary would say it's, it's time to dispatch this, uh, this bear. So the bear's approaching, you've got your pole. Yeah, so uh, and on that note, uh, my thought when I first saw the bear, and I think most people know when you're under uh, that sort of stress, because I was <laughs> feeling the pressure of the situation, how quickly your thoughts race. Oh yeah. Uh, I did consider turning and going. Yeah. Right or wrong, um, thought that I was too close to turn and leave. Now I do uh, have a friend that knows bears well. Uh, he believes my, my best chance would have been uh, to possibly just even turn my bike around and, and slowly ride away, not race away, but slowly ride away, right? There's others that think I could have put my bike down and, and backed away. You know, I've... Uh, man, I just thought I was so darn close that it was time to, uh, like you're suggesting there, re ready your defenses. Mm -hmm. uh, and I would heard uh, stories of uh, people having some success um, with keeping bears at bay with, with a pole. Right? So. Well, at that distance, even Gary would recommend standing your ground. So there's always going to be the armchair quarterbacks. There's going to be people who say, look at bear behavior. You watch bears in a confined scenario and they're getting in a bit of a row and one bear kind of looks away a little bit and kind of backs up slowly and then starts walking away and they say, I hope that's how a human should act. But the thing is, these bears are polysocial creatures. They're, there isn't one thing that you can do that'll apply to every situation, that'll apply to every bear. It's like saying, well, what's the one move I should do if I get into a fight in a bar, right? Well, it, there isn't the one move. And the biggest thing that people can do is have their wits about them, which is what you had going for you. So I don't think anybody listening to this should look at this and say, well, here's what he should have done. Because they don't know, and they weren't there. Every situ situation is different. So I, I think you should be very, very comfortable in what you did, because the outcome speaks for itself. I, I appreciate that. And, and for what it's worth, uh, uh, the two uh, different career conservation officers I've spoken to uh, have uh, suggested something similar to what you just said there, right? That, right. You didn't, that I didn't necessarily do anything wrong. No. And there isn't necessarily also a, a, a right thing to do. Um, but having survived it is an indicator that oh, absolutely. <laughs> you, you, you didn't uh, do the wrong thing. So... I'm not going to interrupt you this time, and I'm going to let you talk through, because the bear is approaching, you've got your defensive yeah. mechanism. So I pulled the pole out. Uh, I, I'm still hopeful that the bear is going to step off the road. Uh, so I strap my backpack back on. Um, but just the hip strap, there's the, there's the strap that goes across the chest. I didn't put that one on okay. because I just didn't feel that I necessarily wanted uh, to be stuck with my pack on. Right. Uh, and the bear just continued to walk slowly up towards me. Um, I'm guessing at about 30 feet or so, and I'm not absolutely positive. It was too close for comfort. Uh, I had looked into the bush a couple of more times on, on the way up. 
Uh, so at about 30 feet, and still hadn't gotten off the road, um, I stepped off my bike, so like I was straddling my bike. So I stepped off because I wanted to be able to put my bike between the bear and me. And at that point, he startled, right? So it, it, he just, like all four paws, just sort of shuddered or shimmied at the same time. Okay. You know, he sort of hear the scratch in the gravel. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe a second later or less, he just started his slow approach towards me again and continued walking until he was right up beside me. And I would have had to lean, like if I reached out to touch him, if, if I leaned, I, I could have touched him. So, okay. you know, he's maybe three or four feet away. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure at exactly what point, uh, but I'm pretty sure like his head had, you know, passed the front tire of my bike, you know, on the other side of the road that uh, we briefly made eye contact. Okay. Uh, sincerely, I can't remember if, you know, you were or weren't supposed to make eye contact with the bear, but I remember thinking, oh man, that definitely doesn't feel right. <laughs> so it was really brief eye contact. And I turned my head away, obviously, and was looking down at the ground in the direction I was facing and then uh, like trying to glance sort of sideways at the bear to still have a feel for what's going on. Right. Uh, and I realized he appeared to be doing the same thing. Okay. Um, and he dipped his head a couple of times. Uh, reminded me of what a shy dog might do. Uh, if you're trying to pet a dog and they're not sure if they want to let you pet it or not. Okay. Um, I think just before that, I remember, I mean, it was so close and I thought this bear was just going to walk right by. Remember thinking, I wish I was filming this because this is such an unbelievable situation, <laughs> yeah. right? This would be awesome to have on film. Yeah. I wasn't about to reach for my camera though, or my uh, cell phone. Uh, so he walked by and I figure he had about six inches further to go and his rump would have fully cleared the rear wheel of my bike. Mm -hmm. And then at that point, you know, he did a 90 degree turn or, or thereabouts, a 180 turn. Okay. Uh, and so I turned in kind, I grabbed my bike and I, I spun it around to uh, put it between us. And at that point he, he startled again, like it was a, a four paw sort of shutter. Right. Um, and he started to advance towards me. This is all slow, right? The only times he did anything sudden were those two times that he started a little bit. Okay. Uh, so I held my pole out and he just slowly walked towards me right into the pole and it had it placed, you know, in that flat spot between their eyes on the forehead there. Right. Um, and he pushed into it a little and I remember thinking like this, this isn't so bad. Like he's not charging me. Like he may just leave me alone here. Yeah. Uh, and then he rolled the pole off his head and, and bit onto it. Okay. And we tug aboard, you know, for a second or two and he let go of the pole and then uh, started moving towards me again. So uh, I dropped the pole, I believe at this point, and I unclipped my pack and I'm sliding backwards the best I can while I'm doing this. Okay. And I threw the pack between us and he, like, he, was, he was quite close. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and a little bit to his side because I didn't want it to seem like I was attacking him. Right. Uh, I didn't know it was a he at this point either, right? Sure. Um, and so, yeah, I didn't want the bear to think that I was attacking him, but I was hopeful that he would take an interest to the food that I had in my pack. Mm-hmm. So it was sort of at his feet and a little bit to his side. And he stopped for, I don't know, about a second, sniffed at the pack as I continued to try to get some distance between us. And he turned and continued to walk towards me um, and then started pawing at my bike. Uh, it started with like a, a really small sort of, I don't even want to call it a SWAT because it was more like a probe. A little test touch. Yeah, a little test touch. And then he reached his hand to, or his paw a little bit higher and took a, you know, another poke. And these, uh, each of them bounced off my bike though, right? Mm-hmm. And then the third one was higher yet. And I'm not sure which one, you know, somewhere between number four and number six. Uh, he lifted his paw high enough that I was worried he was going to like swat down and bury me under the bike. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I threw my bike at him at that point. Mm-hmm. And then at that moment, he said like it, he was sort of hung up in the bike. Like I, I think I got it over the paw that he was swatting with. And so he stepped through the bike and then lunged at me and grabbed a hold of me on my uh, uh, left flank. Okay. Um, So then, geez, I guess at that point, uh, I realized that, pardon me here, I'm a bit, bit tearful. No, I get it. Yeah. Kind of comes and goes. Sometimes I tell the story without any grief, other times a bit more painful. Um, This tearful bit too has been, it's more present now than it was three months ago. But I think until I'm gonna say it's been about the last month, month and a half, this has been more difficult to, uh, to kind of think about or talk about. I, I don't mind doing it still, right? It's important for me to do. Um, but I think it's because like for months I rode the euphoria of, hey, I made it. Mm-hmm. And now I'm sort of coming to terms uh, with the, the trauma side of it as opposed to being so thankful to be alive, right? It's absolutely a natural part of the process. Yeah, so bear's got me uh, by the side. Uh, I'm suspended in the air by him. I, I uh, maybe got a heel dragging, and that's that's it. Uh, I'm aware at this point of, you know, like I'm in big freaking trouble here, mm-hmm. right? It's all uh, the the idea of, uh, wow, I wish I had this on <laughs> tape as this thing walked right past me was gone. <laughs> it was like, oh man, I'm screwed. Yeah. Uh, I don't recall uh, putting up any sort of resistance at that point. Uh, I remember thinking that if he carries me into the woods, I'm screwed here. Uh, But he carried me along the road uh, for, I'm going to guess, maybe 40 feet or so. Okay. 
and then ultimately put me down at the edge of the road with my head uh, just touching the ditch line. Um, why exactly he put me down, I'm not sure if he was, you know, a little bit tired or if I was maybe falling out of his grip, just, you know, kind of sort of tearing free. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then he cinched up his, his bite again on me, on my flank or sort of abdomen, you know, my side there. Mm-hmm. Uh, at that point, I uh, had the opportunity to, to fight back. Um, so in my mind, I was going to give him a double eye gouge, mm-hmm. uh, like from the movies. Yes. Uh, and I really, I had to, I pictured like me, like literally pushing his eyes in. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't reach one of them. It was too far away. <laughs> Even though his, his jaw is like, you know, right at my belly button. Mm-hmm. Right? I couldn't reach his other eye. Mm-hmm. So I just grabbed a handful of fur on the, uh, the close eye. Right, and just grabbed the fur near his ear there and poked into his big brown eye as hard as I could. Were you able to get the thumb in there? Uh, man, I think, I mean, the way when I tell people, I don't know if it'll come through on this, but it was about that long, I think it lasted, the snap mm-hmm. of a finger. Yes. Um, and the next thing I know, my legs are in the ditch and my upper body's out of the ditch. So, and the moment that I poked him in the eye, uh, he reacted strongly enough that I spun 180 and was completely disorientated in that mm. moment, right? So how you know if he, if he swatted me around or, or shook, I'm not sure. Uh, it was a pretty large tear on my, on my back by my kidney there, which you know, may indicate that was a shake. Your, your kidney was exposed, from what I understand, or your uh, organs yeah, I've were. Yeah, I've got it in, in writing somewhere, the, uh, the trauma surgeon's uh, like exact words, but it was something to the effect of I was one cellular layer from my kidney being exposed. Okay. So I, I, I don't know, right? It may have been visible, hmm. but it, there, was, there was one layer stopping infection from getting through into mm. my internal cavity. So pain, massive pain or overwhelmed with adrenaline and... No, I would say not a whole lot of pain. Like it was, I mean, I, I knew I was badly injured, mm-hmm. but it was warm, right? Like it just, yeah, like it, 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 it wasn't yet painful. What do you mean warm? Just sort of like a, a glowing... It felt hot. It was warm. Like I don't... Okay. You know, it wasn't hot like if you, you know, t- touched a wood stove. Yeah. But it, it, it was warm, it was uncomfortable, but it, it wasn't painful. Like it, it might be more like uh, those times when, uh, I don't know if you ever cut yourself with a really sharp knife mm-hmm. and you know you're injured, but it doesn't hurt yet. Mm-hmm. And, and it's really not that bad dealing with it until maybe you run it under cold water and it's like, oh man, there's the pain. It's usually when I ignore it and let the infection set in. <laughs> Things yeah, start yeah, to, get to avoid the pain. Yeah, I <laughs> can appreciate that. But uh, so it was kind of that. Like I, I, I knew I was injured, but it just didn't hurt that much. Okay. At least not yet. Uh, so now I'm spun around. My legs are in the ditch. My upper body's out. And I, I think, and again, I, I remember most of what happened. 
I don't necessarily remember the specific order of it all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then sometimes as I piece it together and or tell the story or reflect on things, it, it makes more sense to me how it all shook down. Mm-hmm. So he started after I was spun with my legs in the ditch. He started biting my legs. And believe he bit into my right thigh a few times. And then he kind of went ballistic a bit or a bit more thrashy. And he bit into my left thigh. And I remember telling the, the trauma staff that he only bit my right leg once. Mm-hmm. And they would say, no, he bit you more than once there. And I said, no, he only bit my right leg once. Okay. And they said, well, the, the wounds indicate that you were bit more than one time there. Interesting. Yeah, and so then I, you know, I realized on hindsight that he spent so little time on my right leg but he was a bit more thrashy there. Mm-hmm. So I, I think I took it as just one, one chomp. But I guess he chomped a few times and was a, it was more shaky. Mm-hmm. And then he transferred off of that leg and got on my other leg. And I, I imagine at this point, like I'm, I'm thrashing too, right? Like I, got, I have an opportunity to defend myself. I'm no longer hanging from his jaw. Uh, but he got his uh, paws under my left leg and, and he lifted my left leg up and, and bit down on the edge of uh, my left foot. Uh, so I didn't have any damage on my foot. Okay. Uh, and then he came back down on my leg. So at, at this point, that, like, that thrash was over from him getting on my, my right leg and, and then my left up high. And he came back down to, to biting on my left thigh. And he's got me pinned with his leg on, you know, my, my stomach. Uh, and he would just bite into my thigh and shake a little bit as if to, like, sink his teeth deeper. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he, was, he wasn't uh, thrashing per se, right? I never got ragdolled by the bear, uh, except for maybe when he spun me. Sure. When I poked him in the eye, right? Sure. And then he, like, he would bite, and then he would lift up quite far, uh, with me still pinned, right? Like, just lift his head fairly far off my body, mm-hmm. and then he would bite down and, and sink his teeth in again, and then lift up and bite down. And I mean, I don't know if he did that, you know, three times or six times, but you know, it was a number of these repeat bites, and then. He settled in on my uh, upper thigh. Um, and I remember at one point, it was feeling like my, my hip was going to dislocate, like he was really torquing on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had both my hands on that side, and I tried peeling his, his jaw off. And I remember thinking how feeble that attempt is in reality yeah. in the moment. Yeah. But I also remember thinking, but what, like, what else are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> you, you have to do something. I thought I read somewhere that you thought about playing dead, but realized. Yeah, so I'll, uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll get there. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. so at this stage, uh, I haven't remembered that I even have a knife. Okay. <laughs> right? Like right, right from the beginning, I remembered my poles yeah. because I've heard stories of people 
fighting bears off with poles. Isn't it funny how we revert back to what we know or our training? Right? <laughs> the, the eye gouge, it's straight out of the movies. Sure. But it, against all odds, people win their fights that way so often in cinema, right? Yeah, so I've got my thumbs in his mouth, trying to peel his jaw off. And I mean, it seems feeble, but I suspect I'm doing it with all the power I can muster. Mm -hmm. uh, and I remember seeing, you know, the yellow teeth and the drool and just really trying to peel them off me. And uh, I guess it bugged him enough that he let go of uh, my leg and he bit down on my hand. Um, and then uh, he got back into biting my, my leg again. And uh, I think at this point, uh, he moved a little further down my leg. And I'm of the estimation that that's where he actually started to uh, more sort of excavate. Mm -hmm. So enough of the, the sort of full uh, mouth bites of my leg. Mm -hmm. I think he was more using his, you know, his canines to sort of chew in towards the bone. Right. Um, I can't remember at what point I started feeling uh, the grating of his teeth on my bone, or I don't know that I per se could feel that, but I heard the like a, wow. you know, it reminded me of the classic neighborhood lab chewing on a big cow bone. Right. Yeah, and then, so at some point in this. And that was your femur. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I mean, wherever that sound came from, I don't know if that can come from tendons. Uh, if it was possibly his teeth, but boy, it sure sounded like bone. Wow. Uh, I mean, at this stage of the game, and I, you know, he was further than I could reach. I couldn't peel his mouth off. Uh, like I was yelling aloud, um, uh, things like stop and why. Uh, I've got all the horrible thoughts, you know, at, at this stage too of, uh, you know, the old bye to the wife and kids. Right. Um, I, I was thinking that, you know, is he going to drag me into the, the woods, you know, where, where I slowly die? Uh, is he going to eat me to death? Right. Like I just like, and that's, and it's probably only a few seconds for all this to race through. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Part of it, I think, while I was, while I was uh, yelling why and stop, because typically you hear of people getting thrashed by a grizzly and then left alone. Mm -hmm. And it just seemed unrelenting. Like, he'd, where was the point where he's supposed to stop and, you know, mm -hmm. give me a chance, right? Uh, so somewhere along there, I remembered, oh, I've got a knife. <laughs> so I went to reach for my knife. And he bit in in a spot, or like it was in the same area, but the, the bite that he made was so painful. And I, I don't recall it being that painful prior, like even when it felt like my hip was going to dislocate. Mm -hmm. I mean, at all, like it, it really hurt. It was different than when he was carrying me, right? At this point, like it, it really hurt. Jeez, mm -hmm. um, you know, I had, there was one bite I remember because I had been rehabbing sciatica issues. This was all part of uh, getting into good enough shape that I could do these adventures. Right. I remember one of his bites, I felt the numbness in my uh, lower back and in my big toe at the same time. Okay. And I thought, oh man, there goes my sciatic nerve. Right. Uh, I was concerned that 
he had done damage to my femoral artery already from those bites that he'd been doing, yeah. you know, like near my crotch and my upper thigh there. I played nothing hurt like these few bites that he did. And the one I remembered my knife. So I went to reach for my knife and he had that super painful bite. And I just, I arch back, you know, arms in the air. Like I'm, I'm picturing me like just flailing wildly and, right. and, and, you know, yelling, ah. And I thought, okay, you know, like I'm arched back here now. I'm, I'm going to play dead. And so I tried to lay there and play dead. And he hit that super sensitive spot again. And he go, ah. And I thought, man, I can't play dead screaming like this yeah. i've got to get my knife and i don't know if i gained the resolve to get my knife and didn't feel the pain anymore or if the damage had been done and so i wasn't feeling the pain anymore as he continued mm. to excavate mm -hmm. so my arms were trapped on my left side under the weight of his body, so he's got a leg and his chest laying on my abdomen while he's chewing on my thigh a little closer to my knee than to my pelvis. I want to probably say about two-thirds of the way down, Sure. right, my inner thigh. So I couldn't pull my right arm to my right pocket where my knife was. So I used both hands to use everything I had to push my hand down into my stomach and just wiggle through, pushing and pulling, to get through to the other side. And then I crawled with my fingers down to where my pocket knife was and with both hands on that side, used them to open the knife, um, put the knife in my left hand and uh, slid it back through. Uh, what I didn't know at the time was I actually gave him a, uh, uh, what the conservation officer referred to as a uh, large cut on his chest. Okay. Um, but I didn't know it and it, the bear didn't seem to change his activity from that. Okay. Uh, so I pulled the knife through and again on hindsight thankfully not cutting myself but yeah, no I, kidding. I, I imagine I had the inherent wherewithal like because I don't recall thinking it out. Mm -hmm. But to not point the blade towards me on, on, the, on the way out. Right. Right, like as I was pulling the, the blade across my body and his. Right. Uh, and then I lean forward. Um, and at this stage, and again from a story my little brother had told me of a grizzly attack survivor that had the bear mauling his stomach at the time and this guy stabbed it repeatedly at the neck until it ran off and ultimately died. Right. Um, I remember that story. Yeah, and I was remembering that in... In this moment of, I've, you know, I'm getting my knife, I have my knife, now it's time to stab this bear in the neck as many times as I possibly can. Okay. And I leaned forward so that I could reach his neck, and he was intent, just chewing at my leg still. Um, and I reached till I'm guessing, you know, maybe six inches out or so. And then I stabbed with, you know, all the strength I had into his neck. Mm hmm and I'm not totally sure if it was, you know, me pulling back uh, to stab again, or if it was him pulling off of me, but either way, he immediately let go of my leg 
and pulled his head up off me. And he got to a point where I couldn't reach his neck anymore with my knife. And I remember being so disappointed that I couldn't continue to stab him in the neck. Mm -hmm. Didn't want to stab him in the shoulder. And then in that brief moment where I was, you know, thinking that, um, a big gush of blood came out of his neck and uh, on, onto uh, my hips. And uh, I said aloud at that point, uh, now you're bleeding too, Bear. Because I had a charge there. I'm getting verklempt again. But I had such a charge of adrenaline, although I didn't, didn't feel it at the time. But I actually felt like I was in the fight for the first time after uh, a pretty prolonged attack at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, and I mean, I don't know if we've been, you know, 30 seconds or two minutes. Mm-hmm. I suspect it took him 30 seconds anyways to carry me as far as he did towards the edge of the road. Wow. Yeah, so then he stepped right up off me. And he walked around me uh, about to the center of the road and then up the road, so opposite the way he had originally approached me from, um, back towards my bike. And he veered towards the bush. Again, I'm thinking, just go into the woods. And then he veered back towards uh, my mountain bike. And he was bleeding the whole way. Like it seemed like there was a gush of blood with probably each heartbeat. Okay. Um, and he got up to my bike and he was sniffing at my bike. And I saw him poop three times and take a huge pee. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, wow, like I, I think I laid a lethal wound on him mm-hmm. because that's a considerable amount of shock he appeared to be in and right. the way he was bleeding it was just a phenomenal amount of blood uh, I, I moved a few times and when I moved it got more of his attention than I wanted mm-hmm. so I was trying to sort of see what was going on but not not to make too much motion uh, so then he sniffed away at the front tire of my bike for I'm not sure how long, but, you know, it's quite a while. It was, you know, not minutes, but again, probably half a minute or so. Okay. And then he turned and he walked back in my direction, but he stayed on the other side of the road, like just past the center of the road, as he walked back in my direction. Once he got about even with me, maybe a touch past, he started to veer back towards the woods. And ultimately, again, I didn't know this at the time, but I suspect it was about there. I think he walked back to where he had initially stepped out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he stood there and he'd look at me and he'd look at the woods. And I'm looking at him and thinking, man, you know, just fall over. Uh, the bleeding was slowing, but it was, he was still bleeding. Um, and I thought, you know, like, what can I do here? Well, I'm waiting, like I need to do something. But again, if I moved too much before, it had gotten more of his attention than I liked. And I just really didn't. 
think I could sustain any more abuse, right? Right. So I thought in that moment, and this might have been a lifesaver, that the bear stood there as he did. Because had he not, I'm not certain that I would have thought to put the tourniquet on. Right. I might have just gone and gotten on my bike and tried to get back to the camp. I don't know either way on this because I had a, a, a pile of thoughts Sure. <laughs> before I got on my bike. So I had my knife with me, so I started cutting the sleeve off my thankfully long sleeve shirt. And I thought this part was kind of funny. So through all this and all the adrenaline, I you know, did the cut of my sleeve and then tried to pull the sleeve off and I couldn't get it. So I cut a whole bunch more of my sleeve, <laughs> pulled again and couldn't get it off. <laughs> And then cut a whole bunch more a third time thinking, seriously, like, what is this shirt made of? So finally I pulled the bloody sleeve off and I started hiking it up uh, over my leg. And sorry to anyone that might listen to this, but I got it up and I started trying to tighten the tourniquet and it felt that my pants were too bundled around my leg to right. tie the tourniquet well. So I looked up and I started pulling my pants down, like unraveling them from up there and they were really thrashed to ribbons. Mm -hmm. And as I pulled them down, I realized that it wasn't my bunched up pants around my leg, it was the meat sort of volcanoing out of the puncture wounds around my leg. Right that the tourniquet didn't want to tighten down over. Right. So I stopped looking at that and I kind of leaned back again and just went by feel and pulled the tourniquet up past those puncture wounds. And uh, thank God I've got pencil legs. <laughs> uh, and my wife calls them uh, Wednesday legs. Why is that? Yeah, Wednesday gonna break. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're pretty skinny. Anyhow, so uh, I uh, tightened the tourniquet and I, I, I cinched it like you, you know, you get your half hitch in there and, yep. and, and cinched it down and I was able to get another half hitch in there like the classic granny knot. Yeah. And I don't know if I had, you know, an inch or two, maybe when I, I get my stuff back from the CEOs, I, I will know how much room I had to spare to tie that knot. <laughs> yeah. If it got salvaged, I don't know if it did, right? Um, but either way, there wasn't much left for me to get that second knot in there. But the knot held. I believe at this point, I, I turned and looked and the bear was gone. I honestly don't remember at what point he disappeared. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't suspect I would have had the courage to crawl to my bike if the bear was still there mm. or yeah, no, I, I wouldn't have. Yeah. Mm. So the bear was gone and then I'm laying there. Uh, it's probably at this point that I looked at the time and saw it was 12.01. Thought to myself, should I wait here for when the crew trucks come down from their day of work and have them rescue me or should I get onto my bike? I'd forgotten in, in the trauma, that or my bad memory, that uh, Vito, the, the logger, and he gave me the lift up there, 
had told me uh, that the crew that was there was leaving by boat each day. <laughs> so I had uh, chosen to wait, yeah. that would have been it for me. But I looked at the time and my, my thought at the time was they're likely not coming back down till four o'clock. Right. And I didn't think I had four hours uh, to wait. Right. So I chose to crawl towards my bike. I personally think this part is hilarious. I tried to crawl to my bike and I couldn't do it. I made it about three steps with my knees and the pain from the gravel <laughs> pebbles on the road <laughs> hurt my knees and my knees are uninjured at this point, <laughs> right? <laughs> hurt more than I could bear to crawl the, you know, yes. 40 or 50 feet back to my bike. That is funny. Yeah, and I remember telling, like, cursing myself in my head. So in this whole journey, once the attack was on, the only thing I said aloud was to the bear once he was bleeding, mm -hmm. right? And then it was became an internal struggle and me talking to myself. Right. And I said, Dollar, seriously? <laughs> you, you, you've been through all this and you can't suck up a bit of pain in your knees? <laughs> uh, but I, 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 I couldn't do it. So I rolled onto my butt yeah. And I pushed with my good leg, right? My left leg was seemingly useless at the time. Okay. So with my good leg in my hands, and I skidded on my butt back to my bike. I got to my bike. My pole must have been close. Like I don't maybe when I threw it at the bear, it went past. I don't, I, I don't get it, but mm -hmm. my, my pole was there. Mm -hmm. And I tried using my pole to get my way onto the bike. And that didn't work. I think I fell and actually like bent my pole doing that. So then I used my bike to pull myself up onto it. And I'm not sure how, but I flopped my left leg over the bike. It's amazing. Yeah. And I realized after I was uh, telling a man that interviewed me to write a piece for the uh, hospital foundation in Vancouver. Okay. It was when I was telling him the story, I realized, wow, like I had my knife in my hand this whole time. I kind of forgot that yeah. through all of this, <laughs> I'm probably white knuckling this little pocket <laughs> knife, right? Either way, so I take my first attempt to get started on my bike and immediately collapse over the other side of it okay. and uh, hit the ground. Possibly the most disheartening part of the whole adventure. Okay. But in that moment, I also told myself, right, you know, Dollar, you got one, one chance to, to do this and to get on your bike. You know, it's you know now or ne never, all or nothing. Just all the sort of things you motivate yourself with, right? Mm -hmm. I was super scared to right because it was took me so much the first time, uh, and the second time it was surprisingly easy, right? Like it it was a, a lot easier than the first attempt. Was it the mental motivation? Yeah, approaching it from the other side. Okay. I, I'm, I'm not sure. Okay. I suspect it was motivation, right? Adrenaline. I don't, I don't know how adrenaline works, but you know how many how many second wins a, a guy can have, right? You know, it's, it's been minutes now too. I suspect since my initial surge of adrenaline from when I stabbed the bear, right? Mm -hmm. And so either way, I 
pulled myself on on the bike and pedaled, you know, got going. Pretty pleased about that. Uh, at the time, I thought I had a four kilometer ride on the flat um, before the hill broke downhill. Um, on reasonable authority, I have it, it was more like a three and a half kilometer flat stretch. Okay. Uh, before it actually broke to a downhill drift. So were you pedaling? Were you just pushing with one leg? Was I was pedaling. And I mean, I, I pedaled when I had to. I coasted as much as I could. Mm -hmm. uh, I used a, like the classic skiing trick uh, when you're traversing. If there's like a, a little bit of a, like a side slope, right? you take advantage of that yeah. to gain speed and then you hit a flat and then you can sort of use that momentum into the next little uphill. Yeah. So whenever there was a crown in the road and I could, you know, slowly drift sideways to rest for a moment, I, I, I used that. But basically my right leg pedaled down and my left leg, I just used the weight of it. To, to fall down. I was probably able to use it a little bit to pull the pedal backwards okay. to get the other pedal to where I could have another downward push. Yeah. I cycled quite a lot as a youth, um, so I was really comfortable working the gears to my advantage. Okay. I uh, pedaled and pedaled, and it just felt like I'd pedaled so long. So another disheartening point uh, was when I saw the five kilometer marker. Oh yeah. So I was at seven. I figure I gotta get to three. Yeah. So I, I thought that that downhill was coming any moment. And I see the five kilometer mark. So I get, oh man, halfway? Right, so that was, that was a tough piece for me. How'd you uh, tackle that? I just, the same old, you know, I don't know, there's every, Sports cliche you probably ever heard, right? <laughs> right? Suck it up, buttercup, all that, right? Sure. Uh, but I just knew that, I, okay, well, that's, I've got a long ways to go here. You know, breathe in the nose, out the mouth, yeah. right? I don't know that I uh, did a whole, like, I, I don't know how I channel my motivation. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty good at switching a bad mood into a good one. Mm -hmm. Pretty motivated, you know, if I get bummed, it doesn't last long and I'm out doing something. But I definitely reflected on my perseverance in high school sports. Okay. I did a fair amount of distance running. Uh, I was also like, I'm a fairly small guy, right? My, my, my fit weight is about 125 pounds. Okay. I've forever, or at least again in uh, my athletic high school days, uh, had to dig deep <laughs> right. to, to, to sort of keep up with my peers in uh, athletic endeavors and or just like the classic boyhood roughhousing. Right. right? I uh, wasn't one to make it easy for my bigger friends to uh, <laughs> sort of pick on me, right? Or, so you channeled all of that. You're thinking about that while you're you're writing? Uh, not the way I used to uh, like combat with my larger friends. Right. right? <laughs> uh, but I was definitely thinking about high school sports. Okay. Right, and because probably largely because that was the last time I had ever really willed myself to dig so competitively deep. Mm -hmm. uh, because once you're not competing anymore, right. you don't really. Sure. 
think to dig deep, right? So I just tried to put myself back and to how I persevered uh, back then to uh, either be at the front of the pack or nipping at the heels right. of uh, who, whoever the uh, uh, local champion was, right? <laughs> uh, so either way, so uh, yeah, I dug deep and kept pedaling. Uh, one point uh, after that 5K mark, um, my left foot fell off the pedal. Uh, that was a really scary moment. I was actively pedaling at the time. Uh, I didn't have long to coast. And I'm certain that if I fell off my bike, I wasn't going to be able to get back on my bike. Right. I mean, I can feel my seat warming up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm certain it's warming up with blood. Uh, I'm not looking to check or feeling right. I'm just trying to focus on, you know, breathing and riding. Right. You know, my foot falls off. I didn't have long to coast before I had to have my foot back on the pedal. And so, you know, I've got to hook my toe under the other pedal to get that pedal low enough that I can get my leg back on, which I couldn't lift naturally back on. So, you know, I grab a handful of pant to pull my foot back on and get it on there and start pedaling again and tell myself, you know, call and concentrate. God, you can't let that happen again. So it got down to just thinking of the, the most simple elements. I'd breathe and pedal and put all my focus on, you know, balancing my bike and mm-hmm. pedaling along, uh, except for possibly my one <laughs> silly t- typical man moment of when I had hit the brake and started to coast downhill. And remember, I've done this road before. Yeah. So when I knew it got going fast to the point that when I was on the road with a helmet in good shape before I used my brakes on the descent, yeah. I've got this knife in my hand still. <laughs> that's And you're doing the shifting and everything with my right hand with the knife there and thinking I can't safely use my brake, my rear brake on my right with this knife in my hand or I'm going to risk losing my knife. So the smart thing to do is ditch the knife. Sure. (laughs) But if I live, I want want this knife, damn it. (laughs) So... (laughs) I took the time as any stupid, stubborn guy would <laughs> to fold my lock blade knife at risk of crashing yeah. and folded it up and stuffed it in my pocket and uh, coasted down. So at this point, now that I'm coasting down, and feel free to interrupt any time here too, right? I've been talking for quite a while. Well, the only thing that strikes me in this is your decision to fold that knife up might not necessarily have been a stubborn act to hold on to the knife, but maybe it was your your mental resolve that I'm living through this and I'm keeping that knife. Yeah, I I, I agree with you, but that that's vanity, though, right? Like it's that's <laughs> typical. You, you know what I mean? Whatever you want to yeah. call it, it's just one extra piece of that puzzle that's telling your brain this isn't how it's ending. I, I fair enough, right? Yeah, it, sure. Uh, it's to to hang on to the knife 
But I love it. it. That's fantastic. Certainly uh, me uh, not giving up. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And and, and on on the ride, like he said, and I'm guessing it was before my foot fell off the pedal Mm -hmm. because that was a moment of holy smokes, like focus here or you're not going to make it. Um, I was having thoughts like, you know, I might be an amputee when this is all over, mm-hmm. um, but I'm okay with that. Sure. Right, right. You, you know, sure. there's, I, I had a few opportunities to, to give up, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that might have been one, right? Uh, but either way, so anyhow. But, uh, so I got the knife in my pocket, drifting down the road. Um, and... I was thinking to myself at this point, like, what, uh, how, how am I going to arrive at camp? Right? Mm-hmm. Like, what am I going to do when I arrive? Uh, because it took me uh, quite a bit of yelling and poking around to get the attention of the cook the first time right. uh, I found him. So that was on my mind. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, well, I'm just going to get there. Uh, and I'm just going to yell help as loud as I can as many times as I have to until he hears me uh, and then once I have his attention I'm going to ask him to call a helicopter so you're already planning mentally role-playing and planning your own rescue before anything's happened you're thinking through exactly what needs to be done for your survival that's yeah maybe not exactly but for sure, some of it because I'd, I, I knew I was in a really bad way. Mm. Uh, I was concerned that I wasn't going to survive the bike ride. Mm. And I mean, being the manager of maintenance and operations <laughs> for the health authority <laughs> on the North Island, I'm somewhat familiar with heliports. Sure. <laughs> and, and that probably the majority of air... How, how would one say it? Because I don't think it would be a medevac, um, at least not in our terms, but for the uh, inbound helicopters mm-hmm. <laughs> with a survivor on board or someone that needs assistance, the majority of those come from the bush. Right. right? It's the logging industry. Right. So I knew there was a, that opportunity was available for me, and I just wanted to make sure that that, got, that ball got rolling right away. Right? So how long were you yelling help for? So here is the glory of uh, all, all of my good fortune, right? All the little mini miracles in this. Not the least of which is uh, that knife that I had with me. Uh, my dad had given to me only maybe three weeks earlier. Right. As uh, a, a random gift uh, and possibly the only gift I've gotten from him other than my birthday or Christmas in my adult life. Right. So it's like really a, a unique fluke, right? The, the universe unfolds as it should. Yeah, I suppose. So uh, I'm thinking there's going to be one guy there and, you know, it might be hard to, to get his attention. Uh, so I come riding into the stairwell that goes into um, like their, their, their mess hall. Right, you know, yep. their common room. Yep. Um, and I stuck my landing nicely, right? Got my handlebars landed like right, right on the 
one railing and my bike seat okay. uh, on, on the one behind or near it. Yeah. Uh, I went to get off my bike and I like collapsed onto the stairs and uh, the stoop. I was probably half my body was on the stairs, the other half on the landing. Uh, just as the fluke would have it, their sliding glass door was open. The screen was closed. And the five loggers that were in there, not just the one, uh, were already making comments to me before I'd gotten a word out. Wow. Yeah, and I'm guessing that they're like laughing about my graceless crash landing, right? <laughs> <laughs> Having no idea of uh, the situation I was about to put them in. Sorry, guys. So either way, so I heard them and I stuck with my plan. Uh, although I might have added a bit to it, uh, I yelled to them uh, as loud as I could, help. I think I then said, I've been mauled by a grizzly. Call 911 or call a helicopter, whichever okay. I yelled, right? Right. Um, but I, I think I said I've been mauled by a grizzly before I uh, gave the 911 bit. Okay. Right, or the helicopter. So they came running out. Uh, I suspect uh, that Vito went straight for the phone. Okay. And they, I mean, there was panic in the air for sure. Mm -hmm. Of course, not being ready for this at all, right? This isn't a scenario where uh, someone's been injured in the bush and they're on the radio saying, get ready, we're, we're coming in hot with an injury here. Right. Right, so they're running through the camp gathering the stuff that they may need. Uh, one of the things they were looking for was a spine board or something of that sure. effect to get me onto, to get me off these stairs. Yeah. Uh, they'd give me a glass of water at this point, and oh man, that felt so good. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I asked the guys, I'm like, guys, can you please, you know, get me off these stairs? Uh, I don't know if I said please. <laughs> 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 and and uh, there's sort like, yeah, yeah, and I do, I, I'm guessing there was two or three guys there at one point. And the one guy in the adrenaline of the moment, and I'm thankful he did it because I was reasonably confident uh, I didn't have any sort of spinal injury. Okay. But he just grabbed me by himself when they were kind of struggling on how to figure it out and, rah, and heaved me <laughs> <laughs> in, in, into the building and, and uh, laid me down there. I think they just waited. They did have a blanket down before they plopped me in there. Mm -hmm. right? They got a blanket down and then, he heaved me and popped me down. Uh, and they just kept... Uh, you know, scrambling uh, away and and uh, checking things out again. I can't speak for exactly what they did. I could hear them uh, yelling back and forth to, to one another, asking where equipment was. And I'm saying, try here, I tried it, try there. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Uh, they used up all three of their first aid kits. Okay. So they had uh, one uh, in the camp, one in a crummy, and uh, one in a sea can. Uh, they ran out of uh, the tourniquets that come with those kits yep. and started using triangle bandages. I can't remember at what point I asked if we should remove my tourniquet or not. And I don't know if at this point or not, if uh, Vito was still on with an RN. Okay. So he had called 911. 
they had started by asking him to call a logging company to fly me out of there. Okay. Uh, he told them we don't have time for that. Like this, this has to be air ambulance. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm thankful that they trust his judgment. Like there's, there's a lot of good faith that sure. goes into this, especially with um, <laughs> like government-run <laughs> uh, <laughs> services mm-hmm. and the jurisdictions that they are and are not allowed to operate in. So, and I remember hearing him explaining to. I'm not sure if it was a pilot or if it was 911, uh, that there was plenty of room for a helicopter to land. But either way, he was having the negotiation with them, like how, sure. how to get there and that, yes, in fact, good for you, him. Like you, will, you will be able to get off. Oh, man, these guys were so awesome. <laughs> like they really, <laughs> okay. uh, so they negotiated. Uh, that yes, taking the tourniquet off is a good idea because my leg was not feeling very well. Mm-hmm. And getting the tourniquet off actually helped. Okay. And then, so, and at that point, I don't know, I think they were already, you know, had like cut open my pant leg and uh, were bandaging the wounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vito mentioned that with each time they closed one wound, yeah. <laughs> that another one would like take oh, over man. where that one left off. Like they yeah. would patch like the worst one, right? The, then the next one would start like leaking as badly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I remember asking the guys a bunch of times. Oh, they kept, t- you know, uh, d- you know, doing the stay with us here. You know, you're doing well. Like they're t- saying yeah. all the right stuff. <laughs> and and sorry guys, but I was. Uh, not like I know it's just stuff people have to say, right? Because <laughs> oh, I get it. I I knew I was in tough, yeah. and then they were just saying it, and that there was some serious concern yeah. uh, for my odds at that point, right? Yeah. Um, they got me on the phone um, with uh, uh, my brother, and I can't remember how many calls I made. I tried my wife first. Although I knew my odds of getting her weren't great because mm. she, she was day camping okay. uh, while I was gone, right? So usually out of reception. So then I got through to my brother and, and we chatted. And, you know, it was a good chat. I mean, I could tell, obviously, he was upset. I wasn't positive I was going to make it. So I was doing my best in that to let him know that that I did well. Yeah. Right? That, you know, that, that he, he told me this, I don't remember saying this, right? Um, but he told me that I was telling him, well, you know, little else, there's a dead bear laying up in the bush, right? Like I was yeah. trying to play to ma- machismo in the <laughs> moment, right? Um, yeah. So either way, I don't know how we ended the conversation, but uh, I started to feel that I needed to save my breath, right? Like as mm. much as the guys wanted to keep me talking. Right. Air ambulance was 40 minutes away from when they agreed to fly. Mm. Uh, we were prepared for an hour. And I understand they were only 40 minutes in the end. And there was just no way I was going to be able to keep talking that whole time, right? Right. 
So I got off the phone with them, but I kept checking in with the guys. Uh, they had a rap music soundtrack going on Sirius <laughs> Radio or something right in the background. And you like rap. And I like my hip hop. That's right. Yeah, so I asked them, hey guys, is this uh, Beastie Boys playing? And I just tried to help. And, you know, we were making the odd joke, or at least I was trying to yeah. make the odd joke. I think they were perhaps being a bit more respectful than that. <laughs> Uh, I remember one of the guys, and he was holding pressure on my kidney wound, which I could tell they were really concerned about, right? Mm -hmm. More concerned about that than my leg, it appeared to me. Okay. Uh, and the one guy says, so Colin, how's it feel? He might not have said my name, right? He says, so how's it feel to have uh, uh, five guys uh, use their first level one first aid for the first time ever? <laughs> <laughs> so, that's, but it gives you an idea of... Yeah. Uh, there was, I don't know if levity is the right word, but we were... Oh, you have to have it. You yeah, like there was a, a, a little bit of jocularity. We were reaching for humor to, uh, to kind of lighten the situation, right? Yes. Uh, I know uh, the RN on the phone uh, with Vito told him to stop giving me water. And I remember them saying, guys, no more water. And me thinking, oh, water's so good. I would ask those guys, can I go on my back? My side was getting so numb. Yeah. And they're like, no, just a few minutes longer, man. The helicopter's coming, right? We're mm -hmm. worried about this wound on your back. So, yeah, so I, I gutted that out. Uh, not that I had much choice. I don't think they would have let me roll over <laughs> through any amount of begging. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I can't, I can't remember if I uh, tried calling my dad or not. I, you know what? I'm, I'm reasonably certain I did. If I got an answer machine, I, did, I didn't leave a message. I didn't think that was appropriate. Right. Uh, so I had done my wife, my dad, my brother. I know my wife was my first call, mm -hmm. right? Don't know who my second one was. Uh, I'd obviously forgotten my dad was off in his boat and was out of cell range, right? But then I had the guy call my boss. Your <laughs> boss? To let him know I wasn't going to make it into work. Oh, right? come on. So, hey, you know what? Maybe that was the point when they were like, okay, let's... <laughs> We can maybe stop with the phone calls here because he's <laughs> down, down to call and work. Oh, man. Right, which is pretty funny. So then my boss guy got into off of him dealing with that probably relatively abrupt phone call. So what do I do? I, and did I understand that they gave you a transfusion, blood transfusion, before you got on the hop or while you are in the helicopter? Uh, no, no, on, on the logging camp floor. Yeah. Um, so I don't know how long they spent with me on the logging camp floor. But upon their arrival, at that point I was confident I was going to live. Mm -hmm. uh, they seemed confident I was going to live. Mm -hmm. um, I don't want to put words in their mouth, uh, but they, they made a comment uh, to the effect of, you know, you're lucky because we have only recently been given the authority to give blood on the scene. Uh. And if we couldn't give blood on the scene, your odds of making it back to the hospital alive would be slim. Wow. Right? So, so everything's just lining up here for you. Yeah, well, just if only barely. Right? <laughs> and, but to make a comment like that helped me think, wow. Like, I'm going to make it, right? Because yeah. they're saying, right? <laughs> a few months ago, uh, 
you, this would have been nip and tuck if we could have returned you to a hospital alive. Yeah. And they're saying in this moment, you're going to live because we, we can give you blood. And they gave me two bags of blood while really? I laid on the hospital or on the uh, logging camp floor there. Wow. Yeah, man, they were awesome. Those guys were Johnny on the spot. How's recovery been? Uh, good, I would say. Yeah. So, I mean, in the beginning, I was so happy to be alive. It just didn't really matter. And I was telling myself things like, hey, you know what? Like, as long as I can still go fishing, <laughs> you know, I, I'm laughing because, hey, guess what? Like, Man I, after I my just, own heart. I yeah, love it. and I just cheated death here, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, there's a, another thing there, too. And uh, I know you asked when I first saw the bear, what, what did I think? Yeah. Right? And I thought, you know, grizzly. Sure. But then I thought, that's not a very big grizzly. And it looks kind of mangy. Yeah. So in the end, uh, it was a 350-pound bear. Okay. Uh, four or five years old. Measured nine foot nose to toe. Yeah. Uh, and was a specimen of a healthy, fit four or five-year-old bear. Yeah. Uh, and the COs estimate it would have been a six or 700-pound bear uh, had it have lived uh, to full adult size. Wow. Um, and all the indications, right, like the autopsy of it, although when I talked to conservation, um, they hadn't uh, autopsied its brain yet. Okay. Um, but there was no indication of it being an unhealthy bear at all. So the sort of manginess that I saw uh, was likely it's wet fur, mm. having, having just stepped out of the bush. Okay. Yeah. Interesting how the brain processes that. Yeah, well, and I mean, I don't, I haven't, haven't seen a whole ton of grizzly bears sure. either, right? So it, I, you just picture a big fluffy animal, right? But, <laughs> but like, yeah, the picturesque ones that you, See on the uh, the people mount on walls uh, pictures of them. So male grizzly, uh, basically, in, I guess an adolescent, more or less, they're just entering into a the, yeah, a, the adulthood phase. A, adult is seven to nine. Right. When they roll into adulthood, I think. Right. And weight-wise, the coastal grizzlies can get a lot bigger than than inland grizzlies. Males can get a lot bigger than the females, but that's it's still a big bear. Yeah. That's, and the other thing that's interesting is that age group of a bear can quite often be the nuisance. It's just like an adolescent child, right? They push in their boundaries, seeing what they can get away from. And when you relay it to me, of course, I wasn't there, but I get the sense that the bear was testing and pushing and seeing how far he could go with you. Mm -hmm. And, huh, that didn't hurt when I swatted it out. Oh, nothing really happened. And let's go further. Let's keep pushing the boundaries. And when you jab that bear in the neck with a knife, whoops. Yeah, all you of it. realize, hang on. Right, yeah. this isn't as fun anymore. Yeah. And uh, if I recall correctly, the COs, when they went out to find that bear and dispatch it, uh, that bear was stalking them prior, right. prior to them having to dispatch it. Don't want to put words in their mouth, but I understand uh, when they ultimately did shoot the bear, uh, it was 12 feet away from one of them. Wow. Yeah, but See, not, not uh, like you have to qualify that. Mm -hmm. It wasn't on even ground where it would easily close that. Like it was, sure. you know, down an embankment, there was an obstruction, but 
for as many hours as they were looking for the bear and they kept thinking, oh, there it is, but then there it wasn't, Mm -hmm. right? It seemed to play cat and mouse with them right up until the end. Bears can be a pretty emotional topic. We've got uh, legislation in British Columbia that has prohibited uh, grizzly bear hunting and there's polarizing opinions on this. Have you encountered negative backlash from this encounter from the people saying, hey, you should never have been in grizzly bear country to begin with and poor bear was put down. Have you encountered any of that? Uh, Not directly. Some of the things you read, right? I mean, you perhaps have read a whole bunch of them, I don't know. But uh, in this one, and they're generally, they were good at qualifying it, saying, look, I'm happy he's going to live, but. <laughs> but. Uh, and and there's, it was fairly fair and reasonably civilized, right? And the one was that, you know, I'm just upset that, you know, another one of nature's beautiful animals dies because an, an entitled man is off. And that's the point where I think, well, but. Come on now. Yeah, hang on now. Like. I, I I guess I am entitled to go hiking in the forest. Sure you are. Right? And and I'm also entitled, especially at that time, which was my belief, that I don't have to worry about bears because I'm at one with nature. Yeah. Like, like as hippy-dippy as that sounds. Yeah, yeah. Right? I'm a hunter, but I, I've, I've never bought a bear tag. Mm-hmm. I've never shot at a bear. Mm-hmm. Right, like I, you know, like there's just no, there was no reason for me to be in a bear attack. But I understand that, you know, when we live in and amongst bears, that in the end, I'm, I'm more on team human, right? <laughs> I'd agree with you on that one. Before we wrap things up here, is there anything that we should touch on? Is there anything that you'd like to say? You'd like to have out there known? And I just hope, like, in all of this, that it helps with bear awareness on average. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's something to be said for being happy-go-lucky and not being afraid of nature. Otherwise, you'll never truly appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> but <laughs> it's also uncomfortable saying that one is foolish to not be properly prepared in bear country and I wasn't properly prepared and we certainly don't know if I would would or wouldn't have been saved by bear spray mm-hmm. uh, but I sure wish I had it in that <laughs> moment because it may very well have scared that bear off. From my background in training the one thing that I found intriguing through this is how you and others defaulted to what they knew, defaulted to their training. So you talked about gouging the eyes of the bear because that was something somewhere ingrained in you that that's a a good technique, poking the eyes for defense of whatever it might be, or the fact that you never let go of that knife again afterwards, or the, (laughs) it's uh, originally started with just a a death grip, knowing, hey, I, I remember innately you've been trained because you've heard the stories about that guy who stabbed the bear in the neck a number of times and killed the bear and how we just revert to essentially what we know and from a training standpoint uh, even the the first aid that people will go through to take a first aid course and a month later forget everything 
having an awareness, having uh, your story as a reminder, you're, you're that guy now. You are that guy that people will be thinking about in the future. They're on their bike. Okay, I'm going to put my bike between me and the bear. I got my pole. Oh, right, I got a knife, right? Or maybe they'll think, he really wished he had bear spray. And I'm an gonna, air horn. And an air horn. I'm going to go out. So thank you very, very much for sharing this with me, sharing this with the listeners. What an incredible tale. For sure. Don't underestimate the wildlife out there.